Good morning. It's good to be here with you this morning. I just want to take one moment. If you will turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53, page 614 in your pew Bibles. I want to read this, these two verses over us in light of what Rob just sang over us. Rob, thanks for your grace and your kindness and your gift of your voice to us and more importantly than that, your heart. Uh, you revealed your heart to us this morning by what the Lord has done and is doing in your life. Uh, we say this often, uh, tears are a sacred thing. So thank you for sharing your tears with us this morning. But this is what uh, this song was all about. It says this, Surely He, Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But here are the scars. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. Thank God for the scars. The truth is all of us in this room have scars. We all come from wounded places, some larger than others, but we all have scars. We are all sinners that need God's grace to be healed by His scars. And so this morning, thank God for His scars. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into Genesis chapter 10 this morning. God was just saying to us, thank you for the scars. Both ours and yours. Because our scars are a reminder of what your scars could only accomplish, and that's to give us both physical and spiritual healing. And I pray for that for all of us in this place. Some of us, God, as we talked about last week, will continue forward. We will receive more and more scars in this fallen, broken world. The news that we would hope not to have received. The loss that we would hope not to have experienced. And failures that we would hope to not have to go through. And so all of us in this place, God, have scars. But I'm grateful for you, Lord Jesus, who died on a cross and took on all those beatings and nails and death to have the ultimate scar that brings healing to us, to our souls. And so we are grateful that your scars have brought us peace. I pray that we would experience that peace this morning. Lead us this morning as we open Your Holy Word, Your infallible, inerrant, inspired Word. God, even as we come to a genealogy, it has the same power that can be found in the most known passage of Scriptures. But Your Word from cover to cover is inspired by Your heart, It's infallible. It's without error. Um, From every 
I that's been dotted and every T that's been crossed. And it has all the authority. So God, I pray that You would illuminate our hearts with Your Holy Word this morning. We pray this in the name of our famous Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen. And God's people said, Amen this morning. We are here in Genesis chapter 10. Uh, God's willing uh, kindness to us. We will come to Genesis chapter 11 next week to conclude this series of origins. We've been talking here in Genesis that the origins of these first 11 chapters are where we have all of our theology, our rich story of who God is. The heart of God can be found in these first 11 passages. As we said to start this series, four things we've seen over and over again in this small series in every single story is we've seen God's great kindness to us. We've seen God's great power to us. We've seen our rebellion against God and yet we've seen God's great redemption for us. And we'll see that again in this passage here in Genesis chapter 10. Before I get into the passage, just two quick announcements. Um, again, this is, please mark your calendars. Don't show up tonight at 6 o'clock. You will show up and service will be over. Uh, show up at 5 o'clock. That's what time small groups will now start uh, here at the church. Also, as Rob said, I do have the Bible studies. That if you are part of Miss Patty's class, uh, Experiencing God, I have those. Uh, you can come see me or they're at um, Tracy's uh, front of her office door. So please uh, come and grab those books if you're in that Bible study. Also, this morning, I'm, I'm having to go off notes, our printers down. And so I'm, man, it is not fun getting older. I'm like looking at my notes. I'm like, man, this was really awesome when I was sitting at my desk reading it. But the farther it gets away, I'm like, it's just like black and green lines on a, on a piece of paper. So I hope I can make it through this morning. But here we are in Genesis chapter 10. Remember last week we finished just Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9 uh, precluded the, the, the flood and we saw that God had began to populate the earth in Genesis chapter 9 verse 18. It says this, the sons of Noah who went out forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham being the father of the, the Canaanites or Canaan. And these were the sons of Noah and from these people of all the earth was populated. So we talked about God continuing His promise. The promise that He was going to have a descendant come from a line to bring salvation. And it looked like life was, or the hope was going to be lost in the flood with Noah. But Noah carried the promise in the ark through his sons. And we'll see the son that carries that promise this morning. These are the three men that will populate all of the world. And we talked about last week that out of these three men come the whole world. Red, yellow, black, and white. They're all precious in His sight. They all come from this story. The world has been populated. And so we talked about last week because these men populated the world that they carry what we saw back in Genesis Chapter 1, the Imago Dei. They were made in the image of God. And so every man, woman, and child on this planet carry the Imago Dei, no matter what your pigment of your skin tone is. I just was thinking this week when I was studying this passage, the great harm that has come because people have not recognized that. 
that all men are created equal. How in the world, and I, I could preach a sermon just on this, how is it that some people in the world think they're superior over other people because of their skin tone? But, but if we hold to what the Bible says, not what man says, what, what the Bible says, the Bible says, no, we're all created equal. And it's not because we're equal because we have all these unalienable rights. Though we do, it's because we carry the likeness of God in us and so do they. I just would think for a moment, do we really believe that we are all family? People in Africa are our distant, distant cousins. If you really start just looking at the family tree, that's a big tree. But we're all coming from the same tree. Man, how, how we have abused that. Which means when we abuse people, we are abusing the Imago Dei. The image of God in them. I want just for a moment to talk about this passage. This passage you can come and think, man, it's just a bunch of different names that we don't even use anymore. Here's the issue of this passage in chapter 10. It might be one of the most overlooked passages of all the Bible. But there's a promise that is running through the theme of this passage that runs the rest of the Bible. It's the promise of hope. A hope for a people and a hope for a nation. And a hope for the nations. So what I mean by that, there's a hope for the nation. The nation is you and I. The people of God. Our hope comes out of this passage. But it also shows us the hope for all of the nations. That God's heart is for all the nations. We'll see that in this passage. But it has to start with you and me as the church. Do we know the hope of God that has been given to us in Christ Jesus? I'm going to get to that at the end of the passage. But if Christ has given us the hope, then He's calling us to have that same hope for the nations. Again, I'll say this as much as possible. That is why I love our church and what we do with foreign missions. We have a hope and a message for the nations. And I pray that we'll never lose that conviction. Because God's desire is that every man, woman, and child have an opportunity to hear, to see, and ultimately respond to the gospel in salvation. But God is giving us that responsibility to take this hope that we'll see in this passage to the nations. But it will start in your home, and then it will start in the schools, and then it will start in, in, in our neighborhoods, and around here in Middle Tennessee. Then it will go to the nations. But it comes out of this passage, a hope for the nations. You'll see that is the title of the message this morning. And so when we come to this passage, we can read these names, and I want you to think about these names. These names aren't just names for names' sake, but these names show us the names of the nations. Every nation can be traced back to chapter 10 in Genesis. So yes, they're men, but they're also names of nations. And we'll see why that is so important. If you count through the numbers of this genealogy, you'll come to this one number. The number 70. There's 70 names mentioned in this genealogy. 
You might think, well, what's so big about 70? Well, the number 7 is what in the Bible? The number of completion. If you go and turn over to Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out a group of 72. Jesus is going to show us a heart for the nations and the heart of the nations comes from here. So He's going to say the completion of the world is through this passage. And so here's just a quick outline for us this morning as we get started. Verse 1 explains what this genealogy is all about. This is the genealogy or the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Hem, and Japheth. The sons who were born after, and these are the sons born to these three men after the flood. And then you'll see in verses 2 and 3, the sons of Japheth. Then in verses 6 through 20, we'll see the sons of Ham. And then in verses 21 through 32, we'll see the sons of Shem. Now there's an interesting thing just in the way it's labeled in verse 1 to how it's laid out in the rest of the passage. Most of the times when you lay something out in the Bible, you go from first to last. Well, here in the Bible, it says these are the three men and then it goes from last to first. Anyone want to know the reason for that? Because God is going to show us where the promise comes from, the promise is not in the first, in, in the, the the first of the names. It's in the where it, where it leaves off. So he's not going to start with a promise. He's going to end with a promise. The promise does not come through Japheth. The promise comes through Shem. So let's look for just a moment at the first son mentioned here. The title of this section we could label it this: a people not forgotten verse 2 i will not spare, i will spare you me trying to butcher all these names but it says this these are the sons of japheth you skip down to verse 5 from these the coastline people spread in their lands and each of them to his own language by their clans and their nations so the first thing that we see is this that this is the people of god that's been put out from these sons, if you look on a map where these people are, it says they're on the coastland. I didn't have time this morning uh, to put up a map to show you what that looks like. But in essence, if you look at a map and you look where these people come from, this is what we would call as the Indo-Europeans. These are the white people. Or another way to put it in the Bible terms, these are the Gentiles. We are all Gentiles. You and I could really chase our lineage to this people group. To this man. And so these are the people that God spread out through the farthest region from where? We'll see in a moment. If I had a map, I'd show you. These are the people that God sent out the furthest away from the promise. Remember where the promise was. The promise was with Israel. The promise was going to be with Shem and they're going to keep him close. And so these people are the furthest away from the promise. And yet we'll see at the end of the passage, these people were not forgotten. No matter how the, the, the application to that point is this, no matter how far you are from the promise of God, you're not that far. Like as Gentiles, the, the, the rest of the Bible of the Old Testament is going to talk about how we are the enemy of God, the Gentiles. We'll see that play out in the New Testament. 
And so, yes, God has a chosen people, the Israelites, but though we are far from the promise, we know and we believe that we're never too far from the promise. Amen? Turn with me. How do we know this to be true? We know this to be true in Isaiah chapter 42. You do not have to turn there. I'll turn there for us. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking about the Gentiles. He says this about the Lord's chosen servant. This is a message of Jesus. This is a prophecy of Jesus and what Jesus was going to come and do. And it says this, Behold my servant, Jesus, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. And he will bring forth justice to the what? The nations. Not just Israel. And he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice nor make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And faintly burning wick he will not be quenched. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And he will not grow weary or be discouraged. Till what? He has established justice in the earth and the coastlines. Wait for his law. Like God is saying in Isaiah about the great Messiah to come, He has not forgotten those that are far from Him. And the sons of Japheth were the men and the women that were on the coastline that this passage in Isaiah 42 is speaking about. We are never too far from the promise. And so what we see is we see the heart of God for people far from the promise. Therefore, if you and I were once far from the promise and God had a heart for us, the only application to that is we must have a heart for those that are far from the promise. It's what Jesus said to His disciples in Matthew chapter 28. Go where? To all the nations. We must be people of the nations. Not because it's something cool to do to go on a mission trip. Because it's the very heart of God. Missions is the heart of God. And God has written on our hearts, His heart. We must have a heart for the nations. Let's go to the next brother. Remember, this is the son, Ham. Remember Ham last week? He was the brother of the curse. He, the blessing came through these, the ones that are sandwiched between him, but he is the brother that carries the curse. But even in the curse, we saw the promise or we saw the blessing. But here's what it says in chapter six, really chapter, I mean, chapter 10, verse eight. It talks about Cush fathering uh, Nimrod, and he was the first of, on the earth, a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now we can read that name and read the description of that man and think, man, wow, that dude was a stud. But we got to remember where he came from. He came from the curse, not the blessing. And, and so we can read that passage and, and mistake what that passage is talking about. He's not talking about how this is a studly man. He's talking about how wicked this man is. And yet, even in his wickedness, it seems like he's got a blessing. Like even God Himself in this genealogy is looking down on the earth and God is saying how powerful this man is. And to the watching world, he looks like a stud. 
But the truth is, he's a wicked, wicked man. And so what does that mean for us? I think it's what the psalmist says over and over and over and over again in the Psalms. How do the wicked prosper? All the Psalms, you read number of Psalms and David is just crying out to God, I do this right, I live this way, and all this trauma is happening to me. But I look over here and I look at wicked people and the wicked seem to prosper. How is that? Well, because we would believe this, that God, even in His sovereign grace, gives grace that it looks like the prospering. That's God's common grace on them. We'll never figure it out. We'll be like David in the psalm. Like, I don't get it. I'll never get how the wicked continue to prosper. Just turn on the news. It's like, dude, when's enough enough, God? But God in His sovereignty, God in His grace, continue to pour out blessing onto them. It's God's blessing that they have what they have. It's not because of themselves, though they think it is. It's God's common grace to them. Same way it was God's common grace to this man. But here's what's true about this. Which is sad, a sad, sad commentary. The wicked, this is my version, this is how I would say it. The wicked is going to get theirs. It may not be on this side of eternity. But they'll have to face a holy and righteous and just God and it won't matter. Nimrod did not stand before God and said, Look at all the animals I killed. Look how mighty of a warrior I was. And you and I, if we continue to prosper, will not go into heaven and say, but God, look at all that I have. Look at all the things I've done for you. Look at all the sacrifices I've done for you. And what God will say, if you're not a child of God, the same way it's said about these people, if you're under the curse God will say this through Jesus. Depart from me. I never even knew you. And they will say, but I did this, this, and this, and this. And Jesus will say, I still don't know who you are. Because you're not sealed with the promise. You're sealed with the curse. This is a terrifying genealogy. So what do we do with that passage? What do we do with that man? We simply say that God is God and we are not. God's ways are not our ways. But then we come to the rest of the passage. The son of the promise. God's favor is fulfilled in the promise. Verses 21 through 32. It says this, And to Shem also the father of all the children of Eber. The elder brother, I will spare you the names. I want you to underline Shem. I want you to underline Eber in your Bibles. Those are two important names. But now we see where God's favor will rest. Remember what God said to those two men, both Japheth and Shem, that God would bless them and God would enlarge their territories and God's fulfillment would come through the line of Shem in chapter 9 verse 26 God's favor rests on them remember 
It's not because of them that God's favor rests. It's because of God's chosen will to rest on them. It was not like Shem came to God after the flood and said, hey, man, I got a great idea. This is my idea and I think it's great. How about you choose me and in choosing me, I'll do what I can to make sure the promise is fulfilled. Like, no, we'll, we'll see this lineage of Noah through Shem is full of wickedness. But God's resting favor is what chose this line to bring about the ultimate blessing, Christ Jesus. It's God's choosing, not ours. Now, that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. I get it. But that's how God operates. And we may not like how God operates, but you take that up with Him. Let me know how it works out for you. But God chose Shem to bring about the fulfillment of His promise, the fulfillment of His favor. God chose Him. He did not choose God. God shows His love again to us, the Gentiles, in this passage. Look what it says. God is going to skip over Ham, the, blessed, the, the brother of the curse, and goes right back to who? It says this in verse 21. Then Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the oldest brother of who? Japheth. He then connects the brother of the promise to the Gentiles. Praise God for that. Like, that little verse shows us great hope and promise God's favor, though it's immediately on the Israelites, God's favor still rests on us, the Gentiles. Praise God that He would choose to do that. And now to what it says. It says, this man fathered this man, this man fathered this man. They had all these. And it says this in the rest of the passage. These are the sons of Shem by their clans. This is verse 31. By their clans, by their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogy in their nations. And from these nations spread abroad from all the earth. In this moment, we see the great chasm brings a bridge. The bridge to how it was in the first ten chapters. The God of promise spreads abroad all of His people. We'll see that in chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel. All of the world is going to be spread. But God is going to withhold, with, He's going to continue forward and bring the bridge from the people of God back to Himself. The line is going to be Shem. Because Shem, who's his daddy? Eber. Who's his son? Abraham's father. That's why I'm saying you can come to that one name and think, well, what does that matter? What well, matters because of Shem fathering Eber, Eber fathering um, his, I'll butcher his name, but his daddy, then he fathered who? Abraham. And Abraham, the, the promise is fulfilled. But it came through Shem. Right? Because now, from this passage on, chapter 11 is going to bridge us to the father of the nation. Abraham. Isaac. And Jacob. And the rest of Genesis, the rest of the Old Testament is going to be about this lineage. The lineage of Shem. The lineage of Shem is who holds 
the promise and where the promise comes from. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. And it will say this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the start of the gospel, the start of the New Testament. The book, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of who? Abraham. And where does Abraham come from but Shem? And for the rest of the Bible, we will see God's great plan of Redemption. And the story goes like this. Every story in the Bible goes like this. God choosing. God's people. God's people rebelling. God's pursuit of a rebellious people. To a place of confession and repentance. Is brought on by God's great love. We see that play out all through the Old Testament. We see that in the life of Abraham. We see that in the life of Isaac. We see that in the life of Joseph. And all throughout the stories of the Bible is God's great plan of redemption. And where does it start? It starts in Genesis chapter 10. By God choosing Shem to bring forth the promise that would ultimately bring forth the greatest promise. God redeeming the world back to Himself through one man. Who? Jesus Christ. And where did it start with one man back in Genesis chapter 10? God choosing that one man to hold the promise to make sure what He promised us in Genesis chapter 3 would happen. Remember what He told us in Genesis chapter 3 after the fall. God made a promise that said one day I will bring forth a man that will crush the head of the serpent. That was the promise. Generation and generation and generation and generation to finally the fulfillment through the son of Abraham, the son of Shem, the son of Noah brought forth the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. We're here today because of that promise. But here's what you have to ask yourself this morning is this. Are you still far from God? Are you that Gentile that's still on the coastline? Far from God. Well, the truth is that though you seem far from the promise, God is still actively pursuing you. Those who are far will be brought close. And those that are far from the promise, God has not lost His heart for you. Here's the other part of the promise. Have you fallen under the curse of Ham? For him, all of his descendants will perish without any hope. And I don't mean that just because of their lineage. I mean that because of their heart's wickedness before a holy God. A heart that's not a heart of confession and repentance. 
And then therefore, are you once who were far from God, now brought close to God, and now are part of the promise of God, His chosen holy people. That is the church. Not this building. That's the gathering of us His saints. We are the promise of God. And then therefore, the application is this. If you have received the promise of God, and you are a child of God, you must have the heart for the nations, and we must take the promise to the nations. Have we done that? Have you surrendered your will in your life once who are far from God to God and now be used by God to bring God's heart to the nations? That's what we see in this passage. We come to Genesis 10. It just looks like a bunch of random names we cannot pronounce. But it is a message about the promise of God to God's people. Let us pray.